Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig with details. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought... In that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio. And how the tech are you? You know, there are a ton of stories that are just pouring out of Twitter, the company, these days, thanks to Elon Musk cleaning house and shaking things super hard so that, you know, all the spare change comes flying out of pockets. And one of those stories is that Musk is reportedly interested in bringing back the video sharing service Vine. He tweeted out a poll asking if Twitter should bring back that video platform. And Musk has a habit of creating polls crafted to get high engagement. So at first, it was a little tricky to gauge whether this was an earnest indication that the dead product is headed toward a resurrection. But Axios reports that sources within Twitter have been told to get to work on a rebooted version of Vine with the goal of having it launched by year's end, which is coming up pretty darn soon. So that's a very aggressive timetable. But from what we hear inside Twitter, uh, that seems like that's kind of Musk's MO right now. 
And I thought, you know what? In the meantime, how about I talk about the previous incarnation of Vine? Because it really felt like Vine was a product ahead of its time, one that at its height was extremely popular and helped pave the way for TikTok later on, as well as like Instagram reels and that kind of stuff. So what is the story on Vine? Well, it all began back in 2012 at a company called Jet Setter. Uh, there were three colleagues at this company, Dom Hoffman, Russ Yusuprov, and, uh, and Colin Kroll. And they were working for this hotel booking travel site. Uh, Kroll was the CTO, Hoffman was a developer, uh, Yusuprov was a designer. And this company would later get acquired by TripAdvisor in 2013. But by then, these three guys had moved on. They were all in their mid-20s at this time in 2012, and they found they had a common desire to create something of their own. Uh, they all had had experience working at different companies, and they kind of wanted to make their own startup. And they were gravitating toward social networks and services, which in 2012 was pretty much what everyone was interested in tapping into. Moreover, while social media sites like Facebook would let you share posts with your friends and Twitter would let you share what you were having for lunch with friends and strangers and Instagram let you share photos, no one had really landed on a good mobile app to create, edit, and share videos. You know, this was a, a pretty tricky time to do that because we were not yet in a, a really mobile broadband era. Uh, so there was some opportunity there for someone to go in and create something that could really make a big splash. So they decided they were going to create a smartphone video app, an app made to create, edit, and share videos. Uh, and they wanted something beyond just a point-and-shoot approach, right? They really wanted something where creators could make innovative videos. They could actually do their video in a, a series of edits so they wouldn't have to just do one long take. You could actually divide that up. And their approach was pretty simple when they designed it. They would have a, a record feature where you would hold your finger down on the screen to record. And if you lifted your finger off the screen, then the recording would pause and it would be a cut. And then when you put your finger down again, it would start recording again so you could create videos through a series of cuts this way. It was the simplest, most primitive type of in-camera editing, but it created an opportunity for really innovative people to use the app to tell stories. In fact, there are some truly uh, phenomenal creators who use this very simple approach to make really compelling or hilarious, or inspiring videos in some cases. Now, early on in the development process, this is before they launched the, the app, they weren't really thinking of a time limit for videos. They were just letting you go for as long as you needed to go. And then once you were done, you could share your video with others. But since they were focusing on smartphones and people were mostly sharing things, like their friends who were testing this were mostly sharing things that by texting each other, limitations in bandwidth as well as storage meant that they really had to start thinking about setting a time limit or else the videos created would be so large that uh, it would 
gum up your phone to, to try and send one to someone else. And it would be a frustrating experience. So they decide, well, we need to limit how long these videos can be for the purposes of utility. And it had to be something that could be shareable. And you couldn't really just share a 10 minute long video instantly from one phone to another. You know, like, like sending a photograph was simple, but sending a, a long video was another matter. So they started to experiment with different time limits. They ultimately decided to limit the videos to around six seconds six and a half, something like that. And that is a short amount of time. Like you can't do a whole lot in six seconds. You can do more than you might think, but you know, obviously it is a strict limit. This would be long enough to send a quick video. You know, maybe you want to wish someone a happy birthday or you have a corny dad joke that you want to use to make your buddies cringe. That would be my way of using it if I were to take advantage of Vine today. But six seconds is really short. It would be really easy to miss what's going on as you play a video, right? So let's say you get a video and you push play. If it's only six seconds long and you're fumbling for earbuds or something, you've already missed the video by the time you turn back to it. So the team made another decision that would give Vine its particular kind of twist, its character. They designed the app so that when you opened a video, the video would automatically loop once it reached its end. So go right back to the beginning. So yeah, each video is just six or so seconds long, but it'll keep looping until you stop it. The app would allow users to also comment on posted videos. So it created a more social experience rather than just, you know, sharing videos back and forth, that there was a user-generated content part of the response as well. And that made a big difference. The three decided that they would call the app Vine, and they founded their company in the summer of 2012. Now, they were still working on that app four months later in October, but then they got an offer they couldn't, or at least didn't, refuse. Though at least one of the founders said in subsequent times that he wishes they had refused it. We'll get to that. And the offer came from, drumroll please, Twitter. And the offer was for a reported $30 million. So if you're looking at three co-founders, that's $10 million a piece. Not bad. That's a lot of cheddar. Also, side note, while I was researching this, I actually came across a site that has a really bad typo in it because that site claimed that the sale was for $30 billion. That is a, a big difference. I think if the offer had been in the billions, the founders wouldn't have felt any regret at all about selling out in 2012. I mean, why would you? Anyway, Twitter was on a bit of a tear back in 2012. The company had already acquired several other companies and products. Uh, they included ones like Summify, uh, Posterous, Daisyant, Rest Engine, among several others. That's just for 2012. So Twitter was on like this crazy growth streak and was in a boom period. And it's kind of funny because while the company had first started launching monetization strategies in 2010, two years earlier, it wouldn't be until 2018 that Twitter would post its first profitable quarter. So while they were generating revenue, they were by no means profitable. And yet Twitter was scooping up lots of other companies all along the way. So that was kind of a crazy thing. In fact, that's one of the elements that people point to at Twitter saying that perhaps this is a company that has a history of 
questionable management decisions. Vine at this point was a janky, unstable app that the three colleagues had basically only really shared with their close friends. And so their close friends were acting as beta testers. They were trying out the app, creating videos, sending them to each other, and then giving feedback on what their experience was like. And initially, the app had some pretty interesting limitations too. For example, at first, the app only allowed you to record with the back-facing camera on an iPhone. And, you know, with your basic smartphone, the higher resolution camera is on the back. So at least that means you've got the better of the cameras uh, as your camera for your vines. But it also meant that if you wanted to make a vine of yourself, like in selfie mode, you would have to do it with the screen facing away from you because only the back camera would work. So it was really hard to tell if you had framed the video up properly. And for a video with multiple cuts, if you screwed up a later cut, like you get your first cut and you know your first your first segment and it's perfect. You start your second and something goes wrong, you know, whatever it may be. Maybe you flub a line, maybe a light goes out, whatever it is. You would have to go back to the beginning and start all over again, or you would just have to live with whatever the mistake was in the video and send it out that way. You could not delete a single segment and just redo that segment. You had to start from the beginning. Twitter saw potential in this product. The acquisition would bring the three Vine co-founders over to Twitter itself. There they would continue for a time working on the app with the goal of launching it under the Twitter umbrella. It also meant signing over the exclusive rights to their creation to Twitter, so they took the deal. And uh, like Lando Calrissian, some of them felt that that deal was getting worse all the time. I'll explain more when we come back from this quick break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. 
We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. So Twitter acquires Vine in October 2012. Keep in mind, the app has not launched yet. People are starting to hear about it because it had some buzz. I mean, Twitter heard about it, uh, but it was in a closed beta. So it's not like it was in widespread distribution. What followed Twitter's acquisition was three months of intense development. And in January, in fact, on January 24th, 2013, the Vine app would officially launch on the Apple uh, App Store. And it became popular fairly quickly. In fact, it hit the top of Apple's charts by April for the free apps available on iOS. Android users would have to wait until June 2nd of 2013, and Windows Phone, which was still a thing back then, would get its version in November 2013. Now, the launch of Vine gave birth to a really wild and weird era of user creativity. Some Vines were pretty straightforward. You might get a six-second clip of someone singing or playing a song, for example. And that actually helped launch a few careers in the music business. You had people who got discovered because they had created a viral vine of them singing some popular song. Other vines were comedy bits, usually embellished with fun edits to emphasize an absurd punchline. A few folks got really good at creating six-second-long videos that used Edit to editing these cuts to create effects that would actually be impossible to pull off in the real world. Like you might be running toward a wall and then because of a cut, uh, it looks like you've just passed through the wall by magic, right? Just magically teleporting to the other side of the wall. That was something that was possible if you were really good at framing up your video. 
and you had a clever edit in there. Uh, a lot of these would take a lot of trial and error to get just right, to get the angle right, to get the timing right. And the payoff was you would get these six second videos that were really awesome. I mean, six seconds isn't a long time, but it also means it's not enough time to get bored, right? <laughs> if you watch a vine that's a bad vine, don't worry, it's over in six seconds. And you can watch something else. And the really good ones made you appreciate how much work must have gone in to making just those six seconds of entertainment. Now, creating a good vine took imagination. It took skill, at least took some sort of demonstrable talent on screen. Uh, there were some arguably very dumb videos that became viral on Vine. Uh, does anyone out there remember the series of Vines featuring comedian Will Sasso inexplicably spitting up whole lemons? There was an entire string of them. So a lot of ones that hit it big showed incredible ingenuity. I don't know if the lemon thing showed ingenuity. It certainly showed absurdity. And I will admit that at the time, I thought they were hilarious. I actually rewatched them in preparation for this episode. And as I rewatched them, I thought, boy, past Jonathan had a different sense of humor than current Jonathan does. Under Twitter's ownership, Vine got some new features. So over time, the app evolved. Uh, for example, eventually creators were able to put their content into different categories so that it was easier to discover their work. So instead of it just being a catch-all where you go to Vine and like all the Vines you're seeing are just random videos, you could explore specific subcategories. So stuff like comedy, you know, all the would-be SNL writers could file their Vines in comedy. Uh, all the editing geniuses could make crazy effects and put their work under the category of art and experimental, that kind of thing. They also had dedicated categories for things like cats and then dogs, which I appreciate because, you know, if you're a if you're a dog person, you might be just tired of all the cat videos online. You just want to go straight to the puppies. Another big update was the long awaited support for front facing cameras that made it far easier to create selfie style videos. So that did emerge under Twitter's ownership of Vine. Twitter also introduced a retweet like feature. In fact, it was called Revine, where users could post vines that they loved to their own feeds and help boost the signal. They could even post it to other platforms at one point. Vine also introduced a web-based version, so you didn't have to just use your smartphone to, you know, search all the vines and watch them. You could actually do it from your desktop computer. It also introduced a counter that would register every single loop of a video. So it was a loop counter and that definitely helped with engagement too, because I don't know about you, but if I see that there's a video that has a huge number of views under it and I'm already kind of interested in the topic, I'm more likely to click on the video because the implication there is this video is one that's worth watching. Look at how many people have seen it. Now we all know that that's not necessarily the case. Sometimes you watch one of those videos and you think, wow, this was garbage. But, you know, it's it's kind of a natural inclination. You see something that's popular, you get curious about it. So you check it out for yourself. At its height, Vine saw 200 million monthly active users. It was a rousing success from that perspective, with brands and celebrities jumping onto Vine in order to take advantage of the app's reach. Because obviously, 
anytime we have any kind of communication tool that ends up being remotely successful, you typically see people uh, try and take advantage of it in order to extend their own brand, whether that's a company or a celebrity. Uh, I did not. Uh, despite the fact that I arguably have a brand, something that's difficult for me to reconcile on a day-to-day basis, I never got into Vine. I mean, I watched them, but I never created them, uh, which probably explains my limited reach. Anyway, it was also making brand new celebrities. Not only were celebrities making use of Vine, Vine was creating celebrities itself, uh, like the Paul brothers. And a lot of popular Vine creators went on to create even bigger success in other venues, from music to Twitch to YouTube, etc. As Vine was launching on Android, Facebook, the company, so we would call it Meta today, was doing what Facebook does best. And by that, I mean the company is famous for either acquiring any competition out there that could potentially pull eyeballs away from Facebook products, or it launches its own version of whatever the popular thing is in an attempt to grab some of those eyeballs. So in this case, Facebook, in the form of Instagram, introduced a way to record short videos and then share them through Instagram. So this became uh, kind of a competitor to Vine. In fact, a lot of people called it out as a blatantly obvious attempt of Facebook trying to get in on Vine's game. Now, this spurred a back and forth kind of tug of war between Twitter slash Vine and Facebook slash Instagram. Instagram initially allowed users to record videos that were up to 15 seconds long, so more than twice the length of Vine. A little bit later, Instagram increased that to a full 60 seconds, so you could record an entire minute of video. Twitter slash Vine responded by allowing a certain subset of creators, like some of the more popular creators on the platform, to record videos that were up to 140 seconds long. And you might say, well, that seems like an arbitrary number of seconds. But then you need to remember that at, at that time, back in those days, Twitter had a strict character limit of 140. This was before Twitter extended that to 280. So you could only post Twitter messages that were up to 140 characters long. So it was kind of consistent, right? 140 characters, videos could be 140 seconds. Cute. Another competitor to Vine at this time was Snapchat. Snapchat had actually launched before Hoffman, Yusupov, and Kroll got the idea for Vine. So that had already been out. But Snapchat started as a a photo sharing app where the photos would disappear after a a certain amount of time. And Snapchat then introduced the ability to take videos of up to 10 seconds in length toward the end of 2012, so still before Vine even launched. By 2015, Snapchat was adding other features to its video creation tools to set it apart from Instagram and Vine, which created more competition in the space. And I think... There were two major factors that ultimately doomed Vine. One was that while Twitter added some features to the app, the company never really put full support behind Vine. They never made it a leader in the video sharing space once competition began to ramp up. You know, they enjoyed the number one spot briefly, but they didn't do anything to hold on to that. Or they didn't do enough, I guess. They did do stuff. They just didn't do enough. 
But another reason that it was doomed was because of something Twitter had been struggling with since 2010, which was finding an effective way to monetize the product. Creators were starting to migrate to other platforms, with some of them going to YouTube, where they could create longer videos and see direct benefits from monetization. You know, Vine, the best way of of really profiting from it was to leverage your popularity to make money in some secondary way. You know, maybe you get a sponsorship deal, maybe someone discovers you, but you're not really making money from Vine itself. And in late 2016, Twitter announced it would be shutting down Vine in the coming months. Initially, Twitter would keep Vines available for people to search and to watch, but the ability to upload new content would go away. Twitter did attempt to resuscitate Vine in 2017 by integrating the the features of Vine into Twitter. The company launched a new app called Vine Camera, which would allow users to create Vine-style videos, but there was no longer a Vine app that you would use to share those videos to. So instead, you essentially had two options. You could either keep your videos on your, your Vine Camera's camera roll, where I guess you could enjoy it yourself whenever you liked, or you could share your new Vine-style video on Twitter. The Vine community died out pretty quickly. Uh, Creators had already started to move to other platforms, and Twitter's lackluster support really meant that there wasn't much there there. Twitter did allow folks to continue to access an archive of Vine videos until 2019, and at that point, Twitter even shut down the archive, and Vine itself was dead. There's some Vines that, that live on because people downloaded them and then shared them to YouTube, but otherwise, uh, they're lost to the, the mists of time. We're going to take another quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about what happened with the Vine co-founders, as well as a little bit about Twitter's plan to bring Vine back. But first, let's take a break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. 
We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Okay, let's have a quick rundown on what happened to Vine's three co-founders and before I get into it, I do want to give a trigger warning, a couple of them actually. This story includes tragedy. I will warn you again when I get there. I'll I'll save that for the third of the three co-founders. So first up is Dom Hoffman. Uh, initially, he served as the lead general manager for Vine while he was at Twitter, but he made the decision to leave Twitter in 2014 to go and work on another startup. For several years, he teased something that he was calling V2. And in 2018, he announced Byte, B-Y-T-E, which was a short form video app that would let folks create, edit, and share short looped videos. Sounds familiar, I bet. Byte went into a closed beta in 2018. It became an official app, both on Google and, uh, and Apple. At this point, Windows Phone was bye-bye in early 2020. A year later, in fact, almost exactly a year after the app launched on Apple and Google, another short-form video app company called Clash acquired Byte. Very curious about that. I didn't find a whole lot of information about that because I didn't dig too deeply into this part. But I do want to follow up on that because I wonder what Dom Hoffman's thought process was because he had already gone through this before, where he had sold Vine to Twitter, now Byte to Clash. Uh, Clash and Byte would ultimately merge together. Uh, Initially, it was an app that was still called Clash, but later it got rebranded into one called Huddles. Next up, we have Ross Yusupov. 
Uh, I think I might have said Yusupov previously. There is no R in his last name, Yusupov. So uh, if I did do that, which I suspect I did, my apologies. When Twitter announced it was shutting down Vine, Yusupov famously tweeted, don't sell your company, which that was the, the person who expressed regret that I alluded to earlier in this episode. Now, at that point, Yusupov had already left Twitter himself in late 2015. Recode reported that Yusupov was fired as part of widespread layoffs. So it wasn't like he was fired for any specific reason, but rather Twitter was downsizing and he was part of that. But he then went on to co-found a company called Intermedia Labs. This company would launch an app called HQ Trivia in the summer of 2017. I feel like I could do a full episode on HQ Trivia because, oh golly, that story. If you're unfamiliar with HQ Trivia, uh, the way it worked was this. You would use an app to tune in to a live trivia broadcast. So it was happening in real time. You would join a crowd of however many other players as you try and answer increasingly difficult trivia questions. I think there were 12 per game. And if you made it all the way through, uh, then you got a share of the cash prize for that contest. How much you got depended upon not just the purse for the game, but how many other people made it all the way through, right? Because you would just divide it up at that point. In early 2020, HQ Trivia shut down. This was in February of 2020. Investors refused to pour more money into it. And without the money, then there was no way to continue supporting it. So it temporarily went down. The app had seen a huge spike in popularity early on when it launched in 2017. But even a year later, that had dropped significantly. The virality had worn out. It had dropped and then plateaued to a much smaller user base. And Yusupov was ultimately able to bring the game back online in a slightly different incarnation after securing another deal, but it's not really the same experience as it once was. Now, within that time frame of Yusupov leaving Twitter, co-founding this company, uh, the launch of HQ Trivia, its subsequent uh, shutting down and then relaunch, there was scandal and a tragedy that we have to talk about. That involves the third Vine co-founder, Colin Crawl. Uh, and this is the bit that has the trigger warnings associated with it, a couple of them. Uh, they relate to sexual harassment and the issue of drug overdose. So if you don't want to hear any more, I totally understand. I just want to give that trigger warning out before we get into it. Now, unlike Hoffman and Yusupov, or possibly Yusupov, Kroll didn't leave Twitter on his own terms. It's possible that Yusupov also was laid off. Recode reported that, but other reports say Yusupov chose to leave Twitter once it became clear that Vine was not going to get the support he felt it needed. Either way, Kroll definitely did not leave Twitter by choice. According to multiple news outlets, he was fired from Twitter. Why was he fired? Well, the main reason, according to all these sources, is that he was just bad at his job. He, he had a bad management style. So however he was managing people was rubbing everyone the wrong way. But on top of that, there were multiple reports 
that he was making women at Twitter very uneasy, that he was being creepy and creating a hostile work environment. A lot of the language points at him engaging in various forms of sexual harassment, although nothing goes so far as to say that outright. Uh, At least nothing that I came across. You know, maybe like third-hand reports kind of go there, but the stuff I saw that was reporting directly upon his, uh, his leaving of Twitter and, you know, how this came up, because it came up during due diligence when companies, investors were looking into Intermedia Labs, that's where you start seeing these reports that he made women uneasy. So again, at the very least, he made a hostile work environment. And it was bad enough for Twitter to give him his walking papers in 2014. Uh, again, whether that was because of the the harassment issue or if it was over uh, because of bad management, uh, I don't know like what the, the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. I don't know what that was. Uh, I will say it's pretty rare to read about companies firing people for being bad managers in Silicon Valley. There are plenty of bad managers out there and you don't hear about most of them getting fired. So this was kind of an outlier. But Kroll went on to co-found Intermedia Labs with Russ Yusupov. So the two of them made the company together. So he was also involved with this, this company that launched HQ Trivia. In 2018, Kroll and Yusupov got into a really nasty battle for control of the company. Yusupov had been CEO, and Kroll had reached a point where he was in uh, disagreement with the way Yusupov was was running the company. HQ Trivia had already started to come down from its viral hit from the year before. So again, in 2018, the, it was a very different picture than 2017. So things were uncertain. And the two co-founders disagreed on the direction that the company should take, and specifically on what to do about HQ Trivia. Kroll then reportedly found a sympathetic board member, and with that board member, they were able to force Yusupov to resign as CEO, and Kroll took his place. So now Colin Kroll became CEO of Intermedia Labs. An employee had actually filed a complaint against Kroll before he became CEO, calling his management style aggressive. So this didn't relate to, you know, sexual harassment uh, claims, but it did say that Kroll was not a good manager, which again, was what we had heard when he left Twitter. But despite that HR filed report, the board approved Colin Kroll to move into the CEO position. This was September 2018. Three months later, he'd be dead. On December 17th, 2018, news outlets reported that police had found Colin Kroll unresponsive and dead inside his New York apartment when they were called in to do a wellness check on him. Found in his apartment was an envelope containing white powder, which obviously led to suspicions that Kroll had died from an overdose. Those suspicions were later confirmed when the medical examiner revealed that traces of heroin cocaine, and fentanyl were found in his system, among other things. In the wake of Kroll's death, Yusupov came back to Intermedia Labs and was reinstated as CEO. That whole story is quite dramatic and will be part of a a documentary that I believe is slated to come out next year. 
So we should see a whole documentary about HQ trivia, I think is the way they're they're framing it. So they're probably looking at, you know, how successful it was upon launch. This really dramatic turn as two co-founders turn against each other, the subsequent tragic death of one of them, and then the slow, agonizing fading of the of the game over the following two years. So that's what's happened with Vine's co-founders. As for Vine itself, Musk does seem interested in bringing it back. And in a world that already has TikTok in it, as well as Snapchat, uh, Instagram Reels, YouTube Shorts, I really wonder if Vine can make a comeback and carve out a place of its own. I suspect the move is one of those that's seen as necessary because if Twitter wants to attract more users to the platform, it's got to do something in order to to make that happen. Um, If we're to believe the numerous people who have said that they're leaving Twitter now that Musk is in charge, the platform's going to require all the help it can get. Uh, For the record, I suspect that a ton of people who talk about leaving are not actually going to leave. A significant fewer number will actually leave the platform, but we'll have to wait and see. As for myself, I am very rarely on Twitter. I'm mostly just there to check the tech stuff HSW handle to see if you've reached out to give me suggestions for future topics of episodes. And that's how we end this episode, reminding you that if you do want me to talk about something specific, one way is to send me a message on Twitter. So if you're on Twitter, if you're still there, if you haven't walked away, <laughs> then you can send a message to techstuffhsw. That's how you can get in touch with me. The other way to get in touch is to download the iHeartRadio app, which is free to download and use. You can navigate over to Tech Stuff by putting Tech Stuff in the search field. It'll pop on over to the podcast page, and there you'll see a little microphone. If you click on that microphone, you can record a message up to 30 seconds in length. Let me know what you would like me to talk about in the future. You can also let me know if you would like me to include your message in a future episode. Uh, I do not do that by default. I will only do it if you tell me it's okay. So if you would rather not have your voice heard on a future podcast, that's totally fine. Just, you know, don't tell me I can use it, and I won't. That's it. Hope you are all well, and I hope you enjoyed this look back on Vine, an influential flash-in-the-pan app that may see a return in the near future. And I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. 
People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in exactly. to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, right. which is different than empathy, yeah. right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bedeira. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A rested child is a happy child. Sleep Tight Stories is a weekly podcast that brings comfort and joy to families worldwide with calming bedtime stories. The stories are relevant to children and spark wonder without overstimulation, so they can fall asleep and stay asleep. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For a bedtime routine you'll miss when they're grown, sleep tight stories.